One of the amazing things to me about God's family, the church, is that it's everywhere. I mean, literally, even in places you would never dream, it is. I want to bring you greetings from your family whom you have never met, probably, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, in the U.S., which is where Debbie and I live. Uh, And I love when we get to worship and share with International Church of Prague because it's just a reminder that God's family is big. And I really, really like that. Well, thank you for the blessing and the honor of being invited to share the good news and uh, from Scripture today. I've chosen Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6 as my text, and I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of these two verses, because I want to talk about three things everybody needs. Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I want to talk about these three things, and they're here in these two verses. And so let's start at the beginning with endurance. Um, I know I'm an old person, and so you have to factor that in, but it seems like to me that endurance is on the endangered list, in my world anyway. It seems like it's not normal for people to hang in there and stay with it for the long haul. Things like 50-plus year marriages, people who stayed together through thick and thin and whose commitment was to love each other until at death they part and they do this. For uh, people who, who care for and love and provide for their families until they are incapacitated, not merely inconvenienced. For people who make a commitment and stay with it over the very long haul, especially when it gets hard, it seems like these people are now outliers. I... I don't like that, but as I said, I'm an old guy, and what I see in the part of the world where I live, endurance is in short supply, but where I live is not nearly as important as where you live. So let's kind of look into where you live, and I don't mean this geographically, So, uh, and, and uh, the way I'd like to do that is to begin with a very subjective pop quiz where we're going to evaluate your PEQ, your personal endurance quotient. Okay, so what I want you to think of is a a line. uh, You've got 10 on one end and one on the other, where 10 represents, I never give up. I am an absolute bulldog. There should be a picture of me in the Funkin' Wagnalls dictionary right next to the word endurance, right? And where one is, 
whatever. Where do you put yourself on that scale? Don't be mean with yourself or harsh, but objectively and as honestly as you possibly can, where do you fall? I'll tell you, five is, I suppose, an acceptable number, but you're a chicken if you stay at five. You, you need to, you know what I'm saying? Okay. No, really, go ahead. Rank yourself. I'm going to be quiet for a minute so you can. Wherever you put yourself on that scale, I have a feeling that most of us would like to be farther toward 10 than we are in this moment. However, if you feel good about where you are, good for you. For the rest of us, we have to ask ourselves some questions. And the first question is, so how does a person get endurance normally? And the answer is by being under stress, sometimes intentionally putting ourselves under stress. That's the only way that endurance is built. That, that, it, it's, it's really kind of bad news, especially for people like me, because I want endurance, but can't I do that from my recliner? Because I really don't want to have to break a sweat. Well, that's not how it works. If, if you want endurance, you're going to have to sweat. You'll have to train for it, mentally and physically, and that means sweating. One of my clients in my counseling practice back in Oklahoma uh, began running recreationally with friends at age 60 when he, was, he looked at himself and said, I'm tired, I, I'm done being a couch potato. And so he and his friends would run, uh, and they ran <clears throat> more than down the street. Uh, occasionally they would run a 5K, maybe even a 10K. But then he decided he wanted to run in the Oklahoma City Marathon. Now you realize that marathons are 26.2 miles. I have no idea what that is in kilometers. 42? A 42-kilometer run is not for the casual jogger. It's not for the weak at heart. You've got to be very committed, and you've got to do some things to get ready. Well, he knew that, and his running buddy knew it as well. So they started a routine of intentional and intense training every day. When it was raining, they ran. When it was snowing, they ran. When it was below freezing, they ran. When it was hot, they ran. Every day, they ran in training for 42 kilometers. And then when the day of the marathon came, they were ready. And they ran it. I met with him the week after his marathon run, and he told me it was the hardest thing he had ever done in his life. 
especially at about mile 20, when everything in him said, quit this, stop this. There's no reason to commit suicide this way. But he and his running buddy didn't quit. They finished and literally staggered across the finish line hours after they began. Where they finished in the standings was completely immaterial to them because their goal was just to finish. And they reached their goal. Now there might be some amazing superhuman individual who on Saturday night, while sitting on a couch, would think, you know, I think I'd like to run that marathon tomorrow. And so they go on Sunday morning and they get to the starting area and, and they run and finish without dying. That, I'd never heard of that person, but I suppose it's possible. But see, that's not really how it works. You know, just a spontaneous, spur-of-the-moment decision and then run. No. How stupid would that be? Real stupid. Regardless of that person's intention, it's not about intention only. As hard as they would try, intention and mere effort are not going to get them 26.2 miles, 42 kilometers. See, there is effort. Absolutely. We have to try. But without training, trying will never get us where we want to go. And endurance puts training and trying together. I think uh, endurance is one of the great themes in the New Testament, well, through the Bible as a whole. In the New Testament, endurance is often translated as patience or perseverance. Uh, it has to do with bearing up under trials and suffering. In fact, its literal translation is to abide under. Now, uh, the abiding under is a strong implication that you're abiding under a burden. We're abiding under something more than a minute's worth of stress. And abiding under is what it takes to make it through a protracted trial or difficulty in our lives. In my experience, that won't happen spontaneously. Endurance, perseverance, patience is always the result of training over time, not just a momentary decision. Look at the very beginning of that passage. And Paul writes, May the God who gives endurance. I, I very much like that idea. That God has the desire to give me endurance. I love the idea. I love that God wants to do that for me. 
But there's this thing about it that I don't so much love. You notice that Paul doesn't say how God will do this. See, if, he, if God left it up to me, I have a, a pretty short timeline in mind. And, you know, let's, let's do it, you know, three weeks. That, that's about as long as I can... He didn't seem to be concerned with my interest in my timeline. How God gives me endurance is not my choice. It's his. Okay. In terms of endurance, one of the great pictures I have seen of it is uh, in the United States with what is probably the most elite and respected military group in the United States. That's the Navy SEALs. Now, as close as I've ever come to Navy SEAL is in a couple of books I've read by Navy SEALs. And in those books, I learned about, a little, uh, what it takes to be trained and then qualified as a Navy SEAL. And it's just ugly. It's rigorous, it's uh, abusive, physically and mentally. Um, the last week of the training is the hardest and the most intense. In fact, the SEALs call it Hell Week. And there's a reason for that. It's seven days that are designed to take men beyond normal, reasonable human limits. Almost no sleep, seven days of very difficult challenges and projects and testing. Uh, pretty much, it really deserves its name. It's awful. The Navy's goal in Hell Week, I think, goes in at least two directions. First of all, they want to thin the herd, right? If you can't do this... You don't have any business putting yourself and others at risk in the actual intense stress of an actual battle. So, if a candidate can't finish Hell Week, they can't be a, sea a Navy SEAL. And there is a provision at any time in the training, you can ring the bell. And that's a signal, I, I'm, I can't do this. And supposedly, there is no demotion, there's no demerit in doing this. Well, the statistic is that only 6% of applicants actually finish the training and become Navy SEALs. So when I said it's to thin the herd, I don't mean thin it a little. We're talking a 94% thinning. Well, the second thing that I think they want to achieve is so that every candidate will know the limit of their endurance, but realize that it is farther out there than they thought it was. I think it's safe to say no Navy SEAL believed their endurance was as strong and long as it actually was until they did the training. We're not Navy SEALs. 
until they have a, a Navy marshmallow crew, I will probably, that's where I would fit. Uh, I'm not a Navy SEAL, and I don't think you are either. But all of us have had our own form of Hell Week. All of us have had times where we felt we were pushed beyond our limit of endurance. Well, there are times when we just think, I can't do this anymore. I, I have to be done. Let me tell you, in my counseling practice, I hear that phrase all the time. I mean a lot. I just can't do it anymore. Well, yeah, there are actual limits to what a person's endurance will endure. But it's, it's almost always farther out than we think it is. I think lots of us who say, I just can't do this anymore, we can actually do a whole lot more. I mean, reflect on your life. When was the last time you said, I just can't do that anymore? I can't. Well, you did, mostly. My role as a counselor is to help people figure it out, to learn that they can go farther than they thought they could. It's always difficult. It always requires endurance. Because without it, though, there really is no such thing as a fulfilling and significant life. Well, uh, okay. What I would like is that it would be a whole lot easier to build endurance and a whole lot easier to keep on keeping on, but it doesn't work that way. So the first essential is endurance. Uh, I have a challenge on each one of these three things, and the first challenge regards endurance. And here's my challenge, if you're a note taker, I don't know whether you want to write this down or not, but here's my challenge. Confront yourself with, your, with yourself today and decide that you want to grow your endurance to a greater extent through training. There's a big difference between trying and training. You have to try in order to train, but to simply try probably not going to work. Am I making sense? You, this morning is a good, good day to just make a decision that you're not going to be satisfied with where you are. It's the starting gate. And then Paul writes about encouragement. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement... Just one quick observation about the order that the Holy Spirit and Paul put those two words in. Endurance and encouragement. Now, if, if I had my way, it would be just the opposite, right? Encouragement and endurance. Like when I'm finally charged up with encouragement, then I will endure. But for reasons I... Well, we don't have time to go into, but I think there are significant reasons why endurance comes before encouragement, but at any rate, it does. Um, the word encouragement itself is, I think, uh, oh gosh, it sounds so shallow, but it's a pretty cool word. 
And it's not, a, it's not a hard word to understand. Encouragement or encourage means to put courage in. I like that. In fact, there's more to it than that. Because of the, the same Greek word that Paul uses here, he also used in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he talked about the God of all comfort. So that encouragement, putting courage in, involves comfort, or can. It, it's from the same root word that Jesus used in the Gospels when he talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, who would come and be our comforter, the one who comes alongside. Now, that's an important thing about encouragement. Really good Really effective encouragement doesn't happen well at arm's length from a distance. It, really good encouragement requires a coming alongside, a, somehow a closeness, physical or emotional or both. It means coming close in order to give comfort and put courage in. We don't put courage into anybody without some kind of drawing alongside them. To do this requires not just sympathy, which is me feeling bad about someone else's situation, but empathy, a willingness to enter into that situation as well as I can. Okay, let me tell you about my friend Danny. I've known Danny since I was in the ninth grade, way back in my years growing up in uh, the wild and woolly state of Oklahoma. And through the more than 50 years since then, uh, Danny and his wife, Anita, have become probably Debbie's and my most cherished, treasured friends. Uh, early in my ministry career, in my first located ministry, I had the blessing of working together with Danny at the same church in Oklahoma City. And it was great. But after five and a half years at that church, Debbie and I were invited and felt called to move to another church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is about 100 miles away, an hour and a half journey on the turnpike. So it wasn't difficult for us to stay connected, even though we were not in the same city and same church anymore. But then after 23 years in that church in Tulsa, Debbie and I were invited and felt called to go to work in a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is a long way from Tulsa or Oklahoma City. And after we uh, made that transition to Las Vegas, Danny and Anita moved to Phoenix, which is only about a three and a half hour drive from Las Vegas. And we decided we made it a priority that we would get together two or three times a year for two or three days, and it was great. Um, now, we live in Oklahoma and they live in Phoenix, and so it's a little more difficult for us to get together, but we make it a priority to connect because some of the most refreshing times that Debbie and I have experienced were with Danny and Anita. And I think the thing that makes time with Danny and Anita so refreshing every time 
is that Danny and Anita exude encouragement. They just leak it. And being with them, it's not like they say, come on in, now we're going to pour courage into you. No, they just, they're just Danny and Anita. And it's maybe a squirrely way to say it, but every time we say goodbye after one of those encounters, there is more of me than when I first got there. That's the nature of encouragement. A long time ago, many years ago, uh, a woman named Joyce Landorf wrote a book, and the title is Balcony People. And in that book, she describes two kinds of people. The first is basement people. Now, basement people, they're the people in your life that they're down in the cellar, right? And they're always yelling up to you. Of course, this is all metaphorical. But they're yelling up to you. What in the world do you think you're doing up there? Don't be stupid. You belong down here in the cellar with the rest of the losers. I don't guess you've ever had anybody like that in your life, have you? Yes, you have. (laughs) Balcony people, though. These are the people I love the most because they're the ones that are in the balcony, but they're hanging over the railing saying, you got this, you can do this, don't give up, come on, I know you can do this, I'm with you. Well, you've had both of those kinds of people in your life. All of us have. For Debbie and me, Danny and Anita are balcony people. Every time either I call Danny or he calls me, I get encouraged. He puts courage in me. He pumps life into me. And that's what Paul says his prayer for the Romans is, that God would give endurance and encouragement to them. God doesn't give us encouragement at a distance. Sometimes feels like he is way out there somewhere. He doesn't always feel right here, but he is. I love this promise, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's holding us. He's holding me. Even when I'm squirming and angry and irritated. I know you never get that way, but I do often. I love this fact, but I'm still trying. I've got it on an intellectual level. But I... I've been following Jesus for more than 60 years, and I'm still trying to get it from my intellect into my heart of hearts. I don't know if you can relate to that. I discovered a few ways that God gives me encouragement, and I thought I'd share those. One is what I just talked about, people, special and awesome people who bring me encouragement, who breathe life into me, who believe in me. And put courage into me. Sometimes he sends me encouragement through music. I love music. Uh, And I have to be honest with you, I'm very subjective about music. There's really only one good kind of music in the world, and that's the music I love. 
And yet, uh, I have, by education background, more than just uh, an awareness of, but a, a appreciation for music, good music. I hope you won't think less of me, but that's not always Christian music. Um, okay. I know other people who, uh, oh, I should back up and say, I'm not referring to what we sang. All of that is in my good music bucket. Okay. So I, I mean, I'm not even trying to be acute here. Uh, this is very true. Uh, and I can't get into it. But anyway, um, I know other people who find this uplifting encouragement and refreshment through other art forms like painting and sculpture. I, I just don't have the background to be able to appreciate those things beyond like it, don't like it. That's as far as I can go. But if you have the background, man, find the beauty. Let it encourage you. Um, I get encouragement from the wonder and beauty of nature. Not a big hiker. I'm much more of a nature voyeur. I just like to look at nature. Don't make me sleep on the ground. That's no fun for me, okay? But I love the beauty and the wonder of how God created the earth, okay? I often get encouragement from the things I read. And these I read broadly, and sometimes I get encouragement for, from unexpected things, fiction and non-fiction, Christian and not Christian. And of course, it comes to me most often and most assuredly from when I look into the Bible, God's Word. And believe it or not, uh, it happens in some unexpected places in the Bible, like Leviticus. I, I believe that God still loves me even though I don't care for Leviticus. And I don't think it will keep any of us out of heaven if Leviticus is kind of like, well, come on. But sometimes I found encouragement in that book. My favorite go-to places for encouragement in the Bible are the Psalms, Philippians, and Ephesians. The rest of it I love but these are at the top of my pyramid. Uh, my experience is, when I go there, God breathes life into me. I've learned that when I'm having, uh, I'm prone to depression. And when I'm having a season in the valley, Psalms is the best prescription for me. I believe that every human emotion is represented in the Psalms. Happiness and deep, deep sorrow, even desperation. And somehow, reading those psalms breathes encouragement into me. But you know what? I've also learned that you could almost just take the Bible and let it flop open. And if, you're, if my heart is tuned and my mind is ready there will be something there to encourage me.
Now, I have to offer a proviso here. There was the guy that let the Bible flop open, and he put his finger down, and the verse said, Judas went and hung himself. <laughs> and he thought, no, that's not going to work. So he put it together, flopped it out again, he put his finger down, and it read, go thou and do likewise. That's not, you don't want to do that, okay. Whenever my heart is right and open to God, he speaks to me through his word. But there's a thing about how the Greek uh, treats encouragement that doesn't get much airtime. And it is this, that encouragement can also involve admonition and exhortation. I mean, there are times when I need, and probably you too, a swift kick in the pants to get me off high center. That's exhortation. That's admonition. Because life is just not all rainbows and unicorns. It's hard. It gets tough. And there are times I want to just pack it in and give it up. And that's when I need the encouragement and exhortation of a well-worded and well-timed swift kick in my britches. But you know what? That swift kick when it comes from a balcony person is way better for me than when it comes from a basement person. Okay. I've got a challenge for you. Well, actually, two challenges uh, regarding encouragement. First of all, Intentionally schedule in times in your calendar where you will get in touch with things that bring you encouragement. Put it in your calendar and treat it like an appointment with your boss. Or if you are the boss, with whoever's up the line from you. Sounds silly, but I'm just going to tell you. These kinds of encouragement don't often happen merely by serendipity. We can take initiative. Okay, and the second thing is, make a commitment to be a balcony person. And, and think about someone that you could be the balcony person for. If you're married, start with your spouse. Don't stop there, but start there. And if you're not married, look around into your circle of friends. If you're a parent, your kids are desperate for your encouragement. And bear in mind, when the Bible talks about encouragement, it's not all about, oh, you're the greatest thing. You know you can be anything you want to be. <laughs> I'm kind of up to here with that, right? If you show up, you get a trophy. To me, that's not encouragement. That's silly. Because encouragement involves admonition and exhortation. If you're a parent, you spend about 97.8% of your time in admonition. <laughs> right? Okay. Find somebody. Who can you be a balcony person for? And then the third thing trying to move on as quickly as I can. Paul asked God for the Romans and for us is the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Attitude. Vitamin A. 
this is not the first time or only time that Paul talks about attitude. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. If you have your uh, scriptures with you or your phone's got the Bible app, you ought to look this up while I read it. In your relationships with one another, there's a discrete context right there, okay? This is not just think about it. No, this is in the context of your relationships. Have the same mindset. Other translations, this is NIV, other translations translate that, the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to describe that in verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I like the NASV. It says something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I want you to think with me about two of the primary attitudes that we see in Jesus. The first one is love. I mean, real, unselfish love. Authentic, sincere indefatigable love. And then the second thing I see is humility. And Paul writes about it here in Philippians 2. The kind of humility that made it possible for the one who spoke the cosmos into being to become a created being. And not just a created being. But a baby who had to be wiped down the afterbirth that you and I both had. And then placed, placed in a feed trough. Does that amaze anybody else? That the one who created everything that there is would stoop to that level willingly? All right. Paul says he wants us to have the same kind of attitude or mindset that Jesus had. Can you imagine in your relationships if you thought of and treated people with this Jesus love and Jesus humility? What kind of, what kind of life would that be for you? Imagine if... What kind of a church family would ICP be if those things were the thumbprint that we, lived, that we left everywhere and on everybody we touch? I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying, what if? And then Paul goes on, so that... This is where he's after. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that so that is very important here. The goal, the objective, the bullseye on the target for all that Paul prays for the Romans and for us is that God will be glorified. And the, the way God gets glorified is when people see and 
here in us that we have made His honor our highest objective. Um, and Paul even writes that, that this glorification will be seen and heard as the outcome of one mind and one voice. There's a word for that. Unity. And we prayed about that a little. One of the key ingredients of unity is vision. If our common vision is vivid and compelling, then we're going to move toward our mission with intention and with strength. Uh, and that will set us in a position to do this in a unified way, in unity. But if our vision is fuzzy and unclear or so general that it looked pretty much like anything, there's really no power for pushing on toward our actual mission, especially when we encounter obstacles and difficulties. If we don't share the same vision and mission, if we're not in unity, we, in an organizational sense, will not move forward, we will move backwards. Is that not one of the things that makes the church sometimes unattractive to people who are not in it? I even chew on that. In any organization or group, vision and mission are essential. And I don't think there are a whole lot of people that think in terms of vision and mission very often. In business, and my experience in the church is that most people leave that stuff to the leaders. Well, leaders, yes, must have a compelling vision and, and a strong, articulated mission. But I think every follower of Jesus needs a compelling sense of mission. For the church they're part of, yes. But in addition to that, I even almost think more important, is a sense of personal mission. This is my personal mission in life. I, I think it's essential for living a significant life. One of the profound things that Paul wrote about God's mission for every believer comes from the book of Romans in chapter 8, right after a verse that I would guess many of you have memorized, Romans 8 28 and 29, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What a powerful and assuring verse. This is a promise. And it's followed by this in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The missional part of that verse is be conformed to the image of His Son. I believe that's my mission. That's, because you're my brothers and sisters, that's our mission that we can stand on in unity. And it has a full-on direct connect back to endurance and encouragement because you won't be conformed to the likeness 
the image of Jesus without endurance. Because it's not, I mean, it's not microwave. It's crockpot. Um, it requires endurance. And no matter what sort of spiritual ninja you are, you're not going to make it without encouragement. Those two things are connected. If every follower of Jesus had as their mission to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to become always more and more and more like Jesus in the way we think and the way we act, the choices we make, what if instead of seeking unity over which version of the Bible shall we use, or what music will we use or not use, and what's appropriate dress, and on and on and on the, that list will go. What if we rallied, instead of seeking unity on those things, what if we found unity in becoming more and more like Jesus as our life goal? What if we were united around a passion, each one of us, to be more like Jesus. Can you imagine what that might do to a marriage, a family, a business, a company, a church? It boggles my imagination and, and, and it fires me up. The most important question here, though, I think, is what would making that my most passionate life mission. What would that do for me and to me as an individual? That's really where it's got to start. And then it moves on to learning enough about Jesus to be able to have a sense of what he would do, what he would think, how he would behave. And sadly, there are a lot of Christians who they only have second information about second-hand information about Jesus. I think the a prerequisite to pursuing this life goal is the gospels, the four biographies of Jesus' life, to read them and study them and devour them and digest them. Meditating on them, thinking deeply about them sometimes we just kind of dip in for a, a, a story here and a story there and an idea and another idea, and that won't do it. Okay. Here's my challenge on this. As we trust in and rely on God's grace to give us endurance and encouragement, and remember, He wants to give you those things, Let's make our intentional focus this week to unite as brothers and sisters around the mission of becoming more like Jesus. And this starts with a simple prayer where we ask God to drill this mission deep down in our heart of hearts. I kind of end to giving people things physical things to remind them of these emotional messages. And 
So here's something you may want to do. Uh, when you get home, take a sticky note and write just the words conformed to the image of Jesus. And then you stick that on the bathroom mirror if you have hair that you need to fix from morning to morning. Or makeup. I, I forgot my makeup today. But where you'll see it, first thing, or nearly the first thing, because I want that to set the agenda and the tone for my day. Okay. One day, there were two birds on a wire. One bird decided to fly off. How many birds were on the wire then? You know it's a trick question. Two. Because to decide is not to do. I want you to decide to make this your life mission. But more than that, I want you to do in partnership with the grace of Christ, with the endurance He gives and the encouragement that He gives to follow that mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, thank You. Thank You that You give us endurance and encouragement. Guide us, God, as we pursue the mission of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And thank you so much that this we do not do on our own. We do not do it in our own power, but you and your spirit are at work in us to produce this. Make us more like Jesus is my prayer in his name. Amen.